0: Very good morning, and for those of you who are joining us and visiting us, my name is Stephen, and I'm privileged to serve with uh, so many of the others that you've seen here on the stage, and um, we just pray that God touches you in a special way, and whether you're popping in or whether you're considering maybe even joining us again next week, uh, we just pray that God blesses you in a wonderful way today. Uh, Before we get stuck into the preach, a little bit of feedback quickly. Um, On Friday, we mentioned that we had a very special offering, as you would know, Mozambique and uh, much of kind of southeastern Africa uh, underwent a bit of disaster because of the hurricane that went through there and uh, it's kind of old news for us but they're still living in it and there are a number of agencies that we have been able to partner with and Friday was a special offering so that we could offer our support to those people that need their lives rebuilt and uh, please put our hands together we were able to raise ten and a half thousand rand so thank you very much for that. And also some news with regards to our land and if you've been journeying with us it's a very slow painful process that we're in at the moment this rezoning process uh, but we are making progress and God has been so good and just thank you for your patience and thank you for also your ongoing faith and your ongoing generosity in this but we also want to celebrate the wins along the way and here's another one that really comes along um, some of you may know about GDOD they are the Gauteng Department for Agriculture and Rural Development and they basically need to give us the thumbs up with regards to what we can and cannot do on our piece of land. And in fact, they are above the council when it comes to environmental issues. And they gave us a thumbs up saying, you don't need to do an environmental impact assessment uh, which takes a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money off the table for us. So... Um... They have given us parameters that we have to work within and in our phase one, we will definitely be able to do that. So each one of these steps, even though it sometimes feels like we're wading through mud, really takes us one step closer. So church, please don't let your faith grow weak in this time. Let us continue trusting God, uh, but also for what He's doing here. And we are celebrating such a great day today. Um, I also want to thank everybody who helped kind of make today so special. Uh, to, To all the volunteers and to everyone who made the stage look so awesome. Please, a round of applause there as well. So in in aid of that, um, as you can see on my left, your right, is this beautiful picture of Jesus' empty tomb, and it is made with um, lots and lots and lots of nails and many, many meters of wool. So we are going to have a bit of a a guessing game. And now that the kids have left, we can eat the chocolates here as adults. And um, I've got two prizes, and the first prize is to guess how many meters of wool is on that board over there. I'm going to take five guesses from around the hall, and um, whoever is closest will get this first prize. All right, so how many meters is collectively on that piece of wood over there? First guess. Okay, we've got a kilometer. 60. 60 meters. 440. 1.8 and someone at the back there. 700 metres. Well, I, I don't know, 440, but that is the exact number of the number of metres on the stage. So please come up and get your chocolates. This is what you call the gifts of prophecy in action in front of us. <laughs> Thank you so much. And then we also have a large number of nails here. And, and again, I, I really think that the team has really nailed this picture. Um, <laughs> I, I wish I could claim that one, but I actually heard it before. All right, someone from the gallery, how many nails do we have behind me? 85 nails. All right, that's our opening bid. Red T-shirt. 760. Wow, that's okay, Lee. 140. Okay, I need to do some maths here. 1,000. So, okay, there are 1,250 nails on the board. So who's closest? There we go. Okay, come up. Come get your chocolate. Thank you. Alright, so speaking of celebrating and enjoying kind of the new life of the day, um, as much as we are celebrating something awesome today, some of you sports fans will know that last weekend there was quite an epic victory. Uh, There's a guy, and you will know his name, but he was basically written off. He was told that his career was over. He was told that he will never rise to the tops again. Uh, Basically, he had to come back from moral failure and climb back through the court of public opinion with regards to that. He had spinal surgery two years ago. And after an 11-year drought, Tiger Woods won the Masters, 2019 Masters at Augusta. And I just, just look at this picture of his face. All right, look at that face of victory. So just to try and feel what that felt like. I was trying to imagine when I won at Family Putt-Putt and kind of um, times a million kind of thing. I mean, I don't know if you saw that last shot. I was trying to imagine what it felt like to literally have all of this, everything he's been working for in the last 11 years, all the the, the valleys he's been through, uh, financial and with regards to just how the public saw him and and the scandal in his life and the the, the need to build up his body and strength. And it came down to two seconds or it came down to a short putt and what is going to happen. And just imagine the pressure and then imagine the release and imagine that, that exuberance as the ball went down the hole. I mean, that changes everything, right? I think Nike just patted themselves on the back and said, okay, cool, we backed the right guy. I think his endorsements are going to grow. I think his career is going to continue to grow. And this is probably going to be considered one of the greatest sporting comebacks ever. And that's pretty awesome. However, not nearly as awesome as what we're celebrating today. The comeback that we're celebrating today you see, the person we're celebrating today, he was born in the tiny little town, the kind of little town where people speak in weird accents and other people from around Israel mock people who come from there. <clears throat> um, <laughs> and, and he was born amidst scandal. People didn't know which came first, love and marriage or the baby and the courage. And, and people were always wondering what's going on here with Jesus and his family. Uh, he's in the wedding photos. How did that happen? Um, <laughs> You know, uh, he was pretty much a nobody. He grew up in this poor family. He learnt the family trade. And that's what he was doing for most of his life. At some point, he started teaching and he gained a small band of followers. We're not talking about big Roman armies. We're talking about a bunch of educated men, fishermen, and even a tax collector who followed him. Along the way, he managed to tick some really important people off to the point that they wanted to off him. Literally kill him. And they managed to do that with the help of the Roman government. And they just treated him like a whole bunch of other insurgents. They treated him like a whole bunch of other criminals. And they put him on a cross. And that was supposed to be the end of his career. That was supposed to be where the movements end. That was supposed to be when the endorsements ended. And then all of heaven went absolutely nuts when they saw the ball go down the hole. When Jesus walked out the grave on the other side. When they actually saw what had been accomplished and there was a victory Because Jesus didn't take on the lightweights of the Roman armies. He took on the heavyweights of death and Satan and hell and sin, and He won. And somehow through literally blood, sweat and tears, we are celebrating a risen Saviour today. Now that's a comeback worth celebrating, if ever there is one, yes? Now, we as a church have been going kind of verse by verse through the book of Colossians. And it is absolutely amazing. Um, And and I really think God was kind of in this, that the the passage where Paul really starts talking about the victory of the cross is where we find ourselves over this Easter weekend. And so in many ways, we're gonna continue this fully alive series. We got different PowerPoint slides for Easter, but really just think about the name of the series. fully alive because Paul wants us to be fully alive in Christ, which is so apt for our Easter weekend message. Now, for those of you uh, who have been with us for a while, you've heard this before, but if you're visiting, Paul wasn't just sitting down in a cave writing Scripture. He was writing to an actual church in a Roman city, which is now in kind of modern day Turkey, called Colossi. right? Roman city, a whole bunch of people had come to faith and he's writing to them and he's actually addressing a number of very real issues. You see, what this Ro- uh, Roman church had been doing is they had been kind of adopting a bit of a, a Jesus plus theology, Craig spoke about this on Friday, and I want to pack it a bit more. On the one hand, they had adopted this Jesus person and his salvation, but they were also being very influenced by pagan culture, pagan superstition and pagan religion. And, and what that looked like for them was this Jesus plus some of these practices, Jesus plus a little bit of angel worship, Jesus plus a whole lot of sort of secret rites and rituals that would give me special access to God that have nothing to do with Jesus. So that's on the one side, but on the other side, because of the diaspora, there were Jews all over the Roman world. A whole bunch of Jews had come to faith as well. And they were saying, well, we love Jesus, and they had come to true faith in Jesus, but we also love our Old Testament laws. And so for these Christians, it was Jesus plus no bacon on your pizza, Jesus plus no prawns at, at the Portuguese restaurants. It is Jesus plus um, for men. It involves some minor surgery, and maybe you would argue not so minor surgery. Um, and and in this passage, we're going to look at. Paul is arguing not just for, listen, this is true, that's not true, that's not true. Stick with Jesus because he's true. He's been doing that and in so many ways, arguing for Jesus' supremacy and his power and the ultimate value of putting him above all things. Not only is he doing that, what he's going to argue in a very special way today is that there's almost like a kind of a, a fight. There was actually a very real victory. And if you imagine one corner, kind of all the pagan powers and and all the pagan influences and the superstitions going on around there. And and, and there was actually in the other corner is the, the, the Jewish law and this whole idea of things that we need to do, that we add to Jesus and hoops that we need to jump through. And Paul says, listen, what happened on the cross was a very real victory. And I want to show you not only is Jesus truer, but he's stronger because he won a very real battle over here. So that's a bit of a heads up. So as we read these verses, you can see uh, where we're going here. Paul is saying this is so much more than just a metaphor. This is a reality. So let's see how he talks about this. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Let's read together. Bit of overlap from Friday and this morning. Paul says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. See these words, this written code being against you and standing opposed to you. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. That's kind of defeat number one. Defeat number two. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, as I mentioned earlier, and what I often say here at Riverside is that these heavyweights that Jesus came up against, hell, Jesus beats on the cross and death and Satan and sin, Jesus beats on the cross. And, and while this is so implicit in this text over here, Paul is highlighting two more heavyweights that Jesus took on. And that he won. And there was a victory here. But these enemies are just as deadly. And as much as this might have been relevant to these people 2,000 years ago, I believe the relevance to us today is as real. And hopefully the victory of Jesus can become even more triumphant in our own lives as well. So the first enemy that Jesus knocks out is this enemy of religion. Now, some of you are sitting there saying, well, Stephen, you know, that's weird. That's a weird way to put it. Isn't Christianity a religion? Isn't isn't that what we're doing here? Isn't religion a good thing? Now, the kind of religion I'm talking about here and the kind of thing that Paul says, Jesus has victory over, the kind of religion God is against is the Jesus plus kind of religion. Where you're going to jump through all of these hoops There's this long list of requirements that you need to trust Jesus and you need to do these things in order to have God be pleased with you. That's the kind of religion that God hates. This is the kind of religion that the prophets, by the way, if you read through the Old Testament, God is against all the time. Now, in this case, it was about the Jewish laws and what you can and cannot eat and the kind of surgery we spoke about earlier. That's not really our context today. So what what does religion or religiosity look like and how does Christ defeat that? Well, what it looks like for today can actually look very religious. It can actually look very Christian. It can look very appealing. A a religious person usually has all the external trappings of what faith looks like and what faithful walking with God looks like. So often a religious person can go to church twice a day, or on a Sunday anyway, you know, that they can be generous in their giving. They can say grace in public and uh, they can try to say not all, all the naughty words and, and try watch, not watch all the naughty movies and can really, again, have this external uh, veneer of what looks like religious perfection. But where religion gets dangerous is where, is where it only stops there. It is literally skin deep. Where externally... Everything looks okay, but internally, you're dealing with a wicked, wicked, deceptive heart. And the Bible uses words like religious pride. Why? will look at me. Look at how I obey all the rules. Look at how I live. Look at how I please God. All right, and and not only religious pride, but self-righteousness. Where I look at myself and, I, and I'm so pleased with myself and this becomes the new standard. Now, why is that so dangerous? Well, imagine there are a whole bunch of rules, a whole bunch of things that God wants us to do if we do love and if we do want to follow Him. But imagine we only look at the rules and you manage to keep all the rules. You just, oh, I need to do a tick. I need to give, oh, tick. I need to be there on Sunday. Tick, 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 tick. tick. Again, it's pride, self-righteousness. And because of that place, I begin to look down at others. I look at my boxes that I've given a green tick and I look at where other people have a red cross against the same box and I look down at them. And God says, in Paul says, that is a very special kind of wickedness. This is where God would actually agree with the arguments of many of the leading atheists of the world. People like the late Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, where they would say, religion is bad. And God would say, yes, that kind of religion is toxic. But what's the flip side of that? The flip side is when in your mind's eye, there's all these rules you need to be obeying and instead of nice green ticks, you get big fat red crosses. Failed at that. Failed at that too. And I failed at that too. And somehow we can vacillate between self-righteousness and pride and the crushing weight of the law. Which is why Paul uses this language, this legal code that stands opposed to you. It literally feels like there's this weight of expectation. And if I cannot have more green ticks than red crosses, God is displeased with me. And that is so not the gospel. So, what is going on here? Well, let's just imagine that that is true. Let's just just imagine that there are a whole lot of things that you are failing at. Let's imagine that there are a whole lot of things that you're not doing well. Let's just see how God dealt with that at the end of verse 13. He forgave us all of our sins. In other words, all those transgressions where there are the little red uh, 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 crosses against those lines he forgave us all of our sins having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to you he took it away nailing it to the cross so let's imagine here it is here's your list alright and God looks at your day and he says oh okay I see you, you told a little lie alright know that makes you that makes you a liar cross oh i saw how you by the way you looked at that girl when she walked past you in the parking lot oh the bible says that that makes you an adulterer cross oh you've got some sexual history oh well sorry sorry about that fail Oh, you failed over here and you you, you failed to be righteous. Oh, I see you're a failure. I see that you're greedy. Or at least last week, Tuesday, you were greedy. Well, that makes you a greedy person. I see that you're always putting God second and you're always putting other things first. Now, let's imagine this is your list that stands opposed to you. This can be so crushing. If this is your perception of how God sees you in your life and this is what Paul says and I'm gonna try to do this while holding the microphone. This is what Paul says that Jesus has done. You see in the ancient world when someone was crucified, they literally took the list of accusations against the criminal and they nailed it to the cross so that everybody could see what this criminal was guilty of. And Jesus says in the same way, he has taken our moral code and he has nailed it to the cross. But here's the thing, instead of you being on the cross because those are the crimes that you are guilty of, he's the one who climbed up onto that cross. And here's what he did because of nailing your sins on the cross that he went on. He did this with your sins and he forgave you. And this permanent mark is not working very well at the moment, but hopefully you can understand what's going on there. But Jesus canceled the written code that stood against us. That is the gospel. That means that God, you know, your thoughts or the condemning thoughts of the enemy or the condemning thoughts of someone else in your life says, oh, you've got sexual history, you get to point to the cross and say it's been dealt with. Ah, I see that you failed again today. No, it's been dealt with. See, here's the problem with the law. It can tell you what's right and wrong, but it can't make you keep the law. It can. It's kind of like train tracks. It can tell you where you're supposed to go. It can't move you along the train tracks. But you know what changes hearts? Forgiveness and the gospel. You see, the way we move along the train tracks is not by whites knuckling ourselves forward and trying to get more green ticks than red crosses. It's when every single time we sin and when the enemy comes and says, look how guilty you are. Look how shameful you are. We look at the cross and we see the list of our sins, as true as they may be, nailed to the cross. Jesus paying on our behalf and Him cancelling the written code that stood against you and you walking away. It's free. That's the gospel. And that means when we approach God, I don't have to come bowing and scraping. The scripture said that even in my time of need, and if you read Hebrews 11, it's talking about our time of sinful need, our time of failure. Even in our time of failure, I get to approach the throne of God with confidence because Jesus has paid for those sins on my behalf. Knockout number one. Let's talk about the second knockout, the second enemy that Paul is referencing here. And I'm just gonna acknowledge, this sounds a bit weird, to be standing on a stage in April 2019 to talk about the next reality here. Because Paul talks about here, he says, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What's going on there? Now, if you've been in church for any period of time, you might've heard about the armour of God. You might have heard about this this way of how we are actually supposed to engage spiritual realities. And when we read the armour of God, we recognise that the, the, the real war is not against flesh and blood, but what does it say there? But against rulers and authorities and powers and spiritual forces of evil. So what Paul's saying here is when Jesus triumphed, triumphed over these powers and authorities, he is referencing spiritual powers of evil. He's saying, listen, church in Colossae, listen, Riverside Community Church. So, so, so you want to go to these other false religions and you want to import some of their stuff and some of their practices? Sounds pretty good to you, Right? says, let me tell you what's going on there. What he doesn't just say is, well, this is wrong. This is right. Stick with Jesus because he's right. He's saying, listen, I need to explain to you there are things going on here that you don't know about. And behind a very false religion is a very real spiritual evil. So you've got nothing To do with that, by incorporating some of these practices into your Christian faith. And just in case you look at these powers of evil and you feel compelled to recognise their power and you feel compelled to submit yourself to their power. Oh, by the way, Jesus has triumphed over them. Now, there's another um, church that Paul is writing to in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. He's written to a church in Corinth. Um, And and he talks to them about these things. And they had a very strange thing going on. Again, something we're not really familiar with here today, 2019. You see, what happened is um, they would go out into the pagan market and they would want to buy some meat. The problem was the meat had been sacrificed to idols. So the Christians came to Paul and said, listen, can we eat this stuff? I mean, he's been involved in this act of worship, but I mean, I'm I'm just in the marketplace. I'm just hungry. I feel like some ribeye. And can I eat this stuff? And Paul says, listen, what's an idol? It's wood. Stone, it's metal, nothing to it. So, what if this meat is offered to the idol? Take it home, just make sure you cook it medium rare, salt and pepper, and you should be fine. All right? But he says, if you participate in the act of worship, if you are in the temple when this act of worship happens, then he says, no longer are these idols just stone and wood and metal. He literally says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you participate. With the demons, And Paul has the same warning here when it comes to the church that he's trying to incorporate some of these practices into their Christian faith. Now you're sitting there again, and I know, especially if you may be sitting here and you're being invited and this whole thing sounds so crazy to you. I, I, I don't want you to fall into the mistake that when we think about spiritual forces of evil, that, um, that only involves you know, killing off cats and painting blood on the walls and seances and all this kind of stuff. Because sometimes the work of the enemy can be so much more subtle than that. C.S. Lewis, who's just a great thinker and he always has a way of putting things so that we can understand them. He wrote a fictional book called The Screwtape Letters, which are letters written between a senior demon and a junior demon. And the senior demon, his name is Screwtape. Uh, Wormwood is his protege. And uh, Wormwood has his assignment: meaning a real Christian person. And uh, Screwtape is trying to coach Wormwood into deceiving this human being. Now, you understand they're gonna use the word enemy just now. Enemy for demons means God. All right, you've got the picture. All right, and this is what he says in this one place. He says, just for some context, he was trying to get um, Wormwood to distract this Christian man, just to distract him. And he says this, so you will say that these are very small sins and doubtless, like all young tempters, you're anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are. Provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. And I believe we can fall into a danger where we can maybe just dismiss this kind of thing as nonsense. I mean, let's go back to some of these pagan religions and let's go look at some of the fruits of what is literally going on at the time. Most of these pagan religions involved temple prostitution. That one of the ways you could experience unity with God was by uniting yourself with a male or a female prostitute. And I mean, without getting too descriptive, it's the kind of disease and the destruction that happened as a result of that some of these pagan religions involved child sacrifice some of these religions just involved really strange and sinister rites and practices here now is that paul's trying to say listen that's more than just a, just a bunch of dumb humans there's something real going on in the background here oh and by the way jesus beat them jesus one And there was a knockout round and he came out on top. So let's bring this home, 2019. Let's talk about Jesus' first enemy that he defeated here, just the law that stands opposed to us. I think many of us here this morning are literally feeling the crushing weight of the law. That somehow in your minds are God is up there in heaven trying to make sure that you get more green ticks than red crosses, and every time you fail, and every time, it, whether it's in your mind or in your heart, or, or your life is a mess, and, and marriage is hard, or your marriage is a mess, and you just feel like God is against you. Well, here's the reality God is for you, but the law is against you. And it is crushing. And it is crushing to feel that and to fall again, and to fall again, and to fall again. And here's what God wants you to do this morning He wants you to look at the cross. And He wants you to see this law that stands against you, true though it may be, populated with sins you are guilty of. See what Jesus did with it. See how Jesus dealt with it. Those laws and those transgressions are cancelled, paid for by Him. And therefore, I mean the Lord teaches us to pray every single day, forgive us our trespasses, that means every single day, quite literally, we get to engage Him with a clean heart and a clean slate as the Lord forgives us and cleanses us. And that is God's invitation to you this morning. If all you are feeling is the crushing weight of your failures and the law that stands against you. By the way, some people have said, oh, if God forgives me so much, that means I can do whatever I want. No, 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 not when you recognise what Jesus did to forgive you. When you recognise that He bore the costs. See, that changes the heart when someone else pays. And suddenly you do start obeying, you start living a life of obedience because God loved you. You see, religion says, do these things and God will love you. The Gospel says, God loves you. Now out of that space, go and live in obedience. And that is what God wants for you for you to know that that has been paid for and cancelled. Let's briefly talk about Jesus' second enemy here. Now again, some of us are sitting here saying, oh, that sounds like science fiction, man. I don't know, look around you. Is everything only explained by dumb humans? Maybe there is something at play here that you need to be made aware of. We do not need to be afraid of it. Why? Because Jesus won. And I also know, and maybe I'm speaking to one person. Maybe I'm speaking to two or three people here this morning. I also don't know what weird things some of you may be involved in. What experiments you have been dabbling in and and, and, and where your path and, and just trying to figure out how to do this life, where it's taken you and what spiritual things you've been exposed to. I don't know, maybe some of you have seen something really sinister and something really dark and something really evil. And maybe some of you here this morning feel captive by that evil thing. And this is where we look at the victor, Jesus, who says, on the cross, the most unlikely of places, I have demonstrated my power over those forces of evil. So surrender to me. Because those forces of evil will never love and serve you. But I have, and I'm more powerful than them. So there is such a wonderful invitation. And and Gene, if the team could start handing out those cards, we're going to talk about that in a second. But this is such a wonderful invitation for every single one of us to look at the victory of Jesus with new eyes, the cancelled code with new eyes, the power of Jesus over principalities and power with new eyes. Each of you are gonna get a bit of a card with a, a verse on and with a, a, the chorus of a song that's gonna be played over the sound system for your reflection, for you to take home. And I'm gonna pray as we go into this, we're gonna play the song on the screen behind me that God speaks to you. Let's pray, church. Hallelujah, you have won the victory, Jesus. And that is a victory I get to walk in with You because You, the victor, are in me, the hope of glory. And I am in You. And Father God, I thank You that as You said those words on the cross through Your Son, it is finished. You had dealt the final blow to these enemies that stand against us and to derail us from the life, the true life of faith and freedom. So church, my invitation this morning is, this is not something we can leave as a good idea. This is not something we can sit and say with our minds, "Oh, that's fantastic. Our response, our rightful response is to surrender to the king of kings to surrender to the one who cancelled the written code that stood against you to surrender to the victor to surrender to the stronger one that means turning from the path that you've been on that means turning from from any devious avenue you've been going down turning from trusting in your own righteousness and turning towards him It means standing before Him, empty handed, recognizing that it's all in Him. And if that's you, whether this is the first time this has ever made sense to you, and this is the first time that you feel like God has opened your eyes to see what He has done on the cross, I'm going to ask that you raise your hand in a second. Or whether you're sitting there as a Christian and you're just saying, Lord, I've been going down these avenues and I'm trying to mean add other things into my faith. But God, I want to become fully alive to You and I want to turn from that. So I'm going to ask You if You would raise Your hand. To all of those who are wanting to surrender fully to God for the first time. Or even just as as a recommitment, Lord, I'm surrendering to You you are the victor you're the one who canceled the written code against me once you raise your hand feel free to put it down again it's just between you and god but i'm just calling you to some response that goes beyond just mental assent lord we thank you that you are a stronger god well, you are the one true God, stronger than these powers and stronger than anything that stands against me. And yet you show your strength by loving me, by serving me by taking my sin upon your shoulders, defeating evil for me. And then you invite me into a relationship whereby you call me friend. Father in heaven calls me son, calls me daughter. That's how you demonstrate your power. And Father God, I pray that there is more victory in this room as more of us are surrendered to you and as we live this out radically. Holy Spirit, would you take the transactions that have happened here this morning and deepen them, empowering our lives to walk in this victory, the victory of resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Folks, don't run away. We've got some tea coffee. I know you've got family business. Uh, we've got some brownies. I'm mean, Sorry, cross buns. But if any of you would like very special prayers, especially anything that we spoke about today, a bunch of leaders and us would love to pray for you and just trust God for what He's done in your life. Amen. God bless you.